I think polyamory was just a catalyst really in my own self-discovery. And I, di I didn't even know I didn't know myself. <laughs> and now I think I've become self-aware enough to know that there's so much more, there's like so much more in there and that the process, the real process and what I keep coming back to is self-acceptance, self-worth, self-care and self-awareness. And I think those are all parts of self-love. Okay. It's gonna be really emotional. There is no loss for being honest. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. The responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. Raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. I'm scared of the friendship. Taking a breath. Just talk. Shame and guilt, vulnerabilities. That was about to be something different. What does it really mean to be friends? We trust the real work that we do is overcoming our insecurities every day and learning how to love more. It has examples of the change we want to see in the world. Just talk. taking a breath. So if we just take a breath. Well, my face is on fire from the doctors. <laughs> to have healthier relationships with women, they need healthier relationships with other men. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. So I'm in an open relationship with my husband, and my husband and I sold our house 10 months ago. We have twins that are four years old, we travel around the world, and this is my boyfriend. Hi! <laughs> Welcome back to another Costa Rican episode of Amory. <laughs> I think this is the first episode I have recorded in a bikini. Megan's <laughs> beautiful beach hair. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it is hot still. It's like 6.30 at night. It's probably still about 85 degrees out. I love it. <laughs> this is the temperature. I'm so proud of my new life. Hmm. So far from my Chicago roots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, didn't you meet somebody recently and they looked at you and they're just like, you don't seem like you're from Chicago. Yeah, I met someone from the Chicago area and they were like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Chicago. And she's like, you don't seem like you're from Chicago. Mm -mm. I was like, oh, I think that's a compliment. Mm -hmm. Look like yeah. a surfer. I've been surfing say. for two months straight. Mm, nice. Yeah. How does that feel? I always wanted to. So <laughs> it feels like a bucket <laughs> list item is complete no Check. matter what happens. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Surfer phase is, is on. Uh-huh. So if anyone hears background noises of our Costa Rican episode here, I believe that they're howler monkeys. Yeah. And Skunks. we were walking back from the beach and I think we saw more animals in that 10 minutes than most people probably see generally. It's like crabs and snakes and maybe a lizard or two. We heard some monkeys. What else? Oh, yeah. And a raccoon. Yeah. Just life. Just normal life here. So what are we talking about today? There's a lot on our minds. There's like a lot, a lot happening. Yeah, for us individually, for us together. Yeah, in general. I'm really excited to be launching another self-love journey group. That's for me personally. And I have loved seeing you go through your learnings and putting together your men's group. That's right. I haven't really talked about that mm -hmm. on the podcast, but I think for me, I've been through this podcast, searching for an identity and whether it was, you know, the podcast being a part of my identity or was I going this, in this direction of getting into 
somatic healing and supporting people that way. I think I've been searching for that, searching for the identity of a writer and thinking that I'm all those things, but also realizing that right in front of me is my story, my life, Mm. my transformation, which is hilarious when you really think about it, to go from Wall Street, frat boy Kyle in his 20s to where I am now, you know, open relationships, polyamorous and... Uh, super connected with nature, farming, <laughs> traveling the world, minimalists. Yeah, super healthy. Yeah, doing work that inspires me and, and working with, yeah. And doing a whole lot of inner work. Can we just lots say that? Lots, lots, lots. And I think that that's the theme of our conversation today is really like, how did we get here? Right. <laughs> how did we get here? And I think all paths lead back to self-love. And I think that that's the learning that's happening right now. It's been happening, right? But I think practicing polyamory, or for me personally, opening up my relationship with Marty, and when he and I started down this road, we had no idea, first of all, where it was headed. (laughs) We just knew it was different and something that was kind of calling to us. And I think we're both adventurous enough to go there. (laughs) And then to think about where we're at right now, I think polyamory was just a catalyst, really, in my own self-discovery. And I, di- I didn't even know I didn't know myself. <laughs> and now I think I've become self-aware enough to know that there's so much more. There's like so much more in there. And that the process, the real process, and what I keep coming back to is self-acceptance, self-worth, Care. self-care, and self-awareness. And I think those are all parts of self-love. And you and I have talked about that a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And I think even to complete my thought about the men's group, you know, it's like I was trying to create these identities. I was trying to figure them out and figure out where I was going after, you know, really letting go of a lot of my life and the way that I was feeling valuable, which was through making money, Mm -hmm. um, status, being driven, being very, you know, masculine and and in those ways. And I think letting go of a lot of that and in a weird way, being confronted through polyamory. Polyamory was a huge catalyst for me to be confronted with my own masculinity, Mm. my own space in the world. The, of course, the insecurities and all the things below the surface, the traumas from my past, the fears that I had feeling inadequate, which was a huge route for me that I had to, and I continue to (laughs) hack away (laughs) at from different angles. But going through that process and now just accepting and honoring that journey and trying to support men through that Mm -hmm. and kind of having this epiphany when I was here in Costa Rica being like, oh yeah, it's just, it's really obvious that that is something that I'm meant to do. And I feel I've always been I feel like a not very traditional male. I've been in those spaces and I've been on sports teams and I've been in boardrooms and I've been in all these places, but I've never felt like accepted there and I never Mm. felt aligned there. Yeah. And I think that, you know, has led me to where I am, which is a much more in touch and self-loving place where I'm really connected to the authentic Kyle uh, Mm -hmm. more than I ever have been. And all those layers and the things that I feel like I've unraveled from, which were the man that I was trying to be, the family member that I was trying to be, all these things that I was doing for other people or some 
societal influence or reward or status that mm-hmm. I've let go. And in many ways, that was a healing process and it was a letting go of, of who I was. So I think, you know, when I look at the world and I look at the future and I can't help myself, I'm always looking <laughs> at the future. And uh-huh. whether you look at my astrology <laughs> or you look at Myers-Briggs, it always like says the same thing. That's why I'm like, I think there's something to this stuff. Definitely. And that's a whole tangent, but it always says that I'm this like peacemaker, but also creator, inventor, looking at the future. I like to vision, I like to dream. And Mm -hmm. that's just part of who I am, I believe. And so I'm always thinking about the future. And what I'm thinking about the future is that, you know, there's this rising feminine, there's this rising feminine energy, which I'm super down for. I'm, (laughs) I'm in touch with yeah, uh, a big part of yeah. my feminine energy. I was going to say you're part of it. Yeah, you know, it's not just whether or not you have a female body; it's just the rising feminine energy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I feel like you and I balance each other out. Yeah. in a lot of ways. Like I'm like, that. I got a good strong masculine energy too. So, <laughs> oh, I know. Sometimes I'm like, hey, well, why don't you? What do you be? Why don't you be a little nicer to yourself? Why don't you? Yeah. Oh, it's funny that you equate that to the masculine energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah, domination, the, the like forcing. where we yeah dominate ourselves. We've talked about that a lot. We both have gotten into Rianne Eisler. Mm-hmm. And uh, after, how did you first come on our radar? Oh, through another podcast. podcast. Yeah. yeah, Team Human interviewed Rianne Eisler. And she wrote, oh, that's actually the book that is holding up our recording device right now, is The Chalice and the Blade. And she talks about domination versus partnership. And I can see that, yeah, where we just try to dominate ourselves. And I think that that's back to the idea of self-love is we don't, you know, so few of us experience that because we literally dominate ourselves. You know, we think that that's how we have to relate to ourselves is I will, the only way I will get myself to do something is out of force. And I actually remember something that my dad said before I left the country two years ago. And I was talking to him and I was telling him, what I want to do. And I'm like, dad, I just want to learn and share. And, and of course his first question is, but yeah, but can you make money doing that? (laughs) And then I told him, I'm like, yeah, I think, I think that love is such a cornerstone and such a root. And I, I, I want to share that. And his response to me was the only reason people do anything is out of fear. And I just had this moment of sadness. I was like, oh, that hurts my heart. That hurts my heart so badly because that means that's how he treats himself mm. is out of fear and, and domination. And I think we, when we don't trust ourselves, we relate to ourselves out of fear. And that's just like that core relationship. And what I'm discovering over the last eight weeks, and I'm so excited to have another group coming up to keep diving into this concept of self-love, which is how are we relating to ourselves? We are our own primary relationship we're with ourselves our whole life. I mean, that is so core and it's the, it's the source of so much. It's the source of how we see the world. It's the source of our relationships. And man, when my dad said that, I was like, oh, oh, it was like this. Like I felt it in my heart going, oh, he hasn't yet experienced love for himself. You know, and I, at that point, two years ago, really only had like glimmers of it. (laughs) Let's be honest. I was still very much at the beginning of this journey and, and it just so hurt. And now the more we go down this path, the more I see it in the way that I still relate to myself sometime out of domination and force and fear and, and all of that. But that's luckily um, less often. And Kyle, when you were talking just a couple minutes ago, you said something that was kind of circle, circling around the topic of safety and inner safety. And I think that that's also something that you've done and I've seen you do and I've learned with you and alongside you and through you about how to create a safer space for myself. But I think that that's ultimately where 
like really where you've gotten where I see you. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's, I think of these things in two ways where it's like the microcosm of you and I and the changes that we're experiencing, you're stepping into power, you're yeah, embracing of the feminine energy and <laughs> me, I think, calming my masculine energy, confronting it, working through it, and then finding a healthier version of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when I think about when I entered polyamory, I mean, you've seen me change a lot in mm-hmm. three years of just the patterns of behavior. And I think how I was bringing this like hookup <laughs> style of, uh, of dating to, yeah, I was bringing that to polyamory. And I mm-hmm. think I just kind of thought, oh yeah, I'll just be able to continue hooking up and Ooh, but and can, cont- I, can I ask you questions here of course like, why did you have that pattern of relating why was that your behavior what was at the core of those patterns mm, so many things I mean I think of one of them was loneliness in a strange way that and I think of it as a, a, a loop where I would be lonely because I was single I didn't have a loving meaningful relationship mm-hmm. which is the actual feeling of loneliness and the need that's connected to it is we mm. all want meaningful, you know, connections. Mm-hmm. But going into, you know, from loneliness, I would react with going out and trying to fulfill that loneliness and trying to do it the fastest, mm. quickest way of, of getting that validation because finding the right person is hard. And when you're monogamous, you have a ton of pressure and, mm-hmm. you know, finding the one and all of that. I think I was certainly deterred by a lot of that thinking but I would go out I would you know and then of course I was surrounded by male guy friends Mm -hmm. who were doing the same thing which was like we were all coming together as guys drinking going out it was I mean that to me I call it the hookup culture and I mean that's Uh what this kind of well known as is hookup culture and there's components of that hookup culture which are which is men all going out together women all going out together and Mm. there's kind of these strange group dynamics where you know, it's not really communicated or said that that's what's happening, mm-hmm. right? We're all there for hooking up, but like, really, we want something more. Mm-hmm. And I'm, of course, speaking for myself, but I, I believe a lot of people wanted something more as well. You know, we're all looking for, again, the meaningful connection. Yeah. And, you know, we're masquerading, you know, as as we don't, or, or we're afraid, we're afraid to get hurt, of course, yeah. and I was afraid to get hurt. So yeah, I would, I would go out and hook up and, and, not really find these meaningful connections and then I would feel shame and guilt and that would cause me to pull back and pull away into loneliness again Uh, restart the loop uh. so that was definitely a clear pattern that of course I could see later (laughs) once I stopped that pattern and you know you were of course the the pattern interruption which Mm, was that meaningful connection the disruptor the disruptor but you saw me still struggle with (laughs) I totally did I I saw you and I feel like there were a couple points to to call you out but you've seen me have patterns that I just can't quite I think it's just always easier to see someone else's behavior patterns where it's like god can't they see what they're doing to themselves but then trying to turn the mirror on ourselves and go oh yeah why like why am I still doing that what's at the root of it and there's some, I mean, obviously we're still digging and there's so much work right now that's coming up around, around our own behaviors, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy and really understanding our thoughts, but then also understanding what's in our body and all the somatic work, like the body keeps score and us, our body holding trauma that we just keep reliving and recreating things. I mean, there's so much to discover here. I feel like an explorer almost. And yeah. that's, that's why I like the women's description of the self-love program is like self-discovery. And it just feels exciting. It feels really exciting to be like, oh, yeah, this is my work now. It's like, you know, self-discovery, 
guide some people, keep going out, do some research. But I feel like this is the whole uncharted territory. And uh, I think if I had an archetype, it would be an explorer. If I lived years ago where there were no physical maps, I think I would be wanting to get out there and like see the land and explore. And I think the version of that right now is really doing the inner exploration and the inner work. And you and I were having a conversation right before recording this about frameworks and about the way that we understand the world. We all build kind of a mental model of the world. So we all build our own internal frameworks of how the world works. And so just it's so lacking in the area of self-awareness. We don't have a lot of framework, a lot of language or even external structures to help us with this discovery. In fact, we're not even like it's not a part of our culture. You go to school and you sit in these classrooms where the answers are all outside of you and you get it either right or wrong. And we don't have quite yet, and I will say just yet, the structures in place to help us do the inner exploration. You know, the language, the frameworks. I mean, yes, it exists, but it's not, we'll call it, it's not in the mass culture yet. Right. And I think in the mass culture, one of the patterns that is being uncovered, especially in the last year where so many things have been uncovered, which is that for far too long, men have been depending on women for their emotional safe space, their emotional processing, and whatever that looks like, which it isn't typically pretty, you know, angry outbursts. Because as men, we, for, you know, the reasons that I think we all are very, very conscious of and understand, we all, we've been programmed, you know, the men that, and I'll speak for my generation of men, and certainly the men that are older than me, that we've been programmed to not be emotional, that we need to be strong, we need to suck it up, we need to be tough, and the consequences of that, and that's gone on for so, so long, are now becoming a thing that we can't do this anymore. We can't raise boys this way. It's impacting everyone. It's impacting our entire society. And I, I feel like I'm coming from this lens of, the emotional lens of looking at the world through our emotions. And if we can get emotions right, things will get a lot better. Mm. And I think that's what I'm really passionate about is working with men on that, coming back to the authentic self, which is really, you know, step one is, is looking at your emotions and your feelings and connecting back to your body, identifying what you want and what you need and going on the, the journey to ask for it. How do you just say it so simply? And I remember <laughs> it's taken me a year, two years to really wrap my, not just wrap my head around it, but embody what you just said in a sentence there. <laughs> no, it took me long too. That is, yeah. I mean, it is radically different than the world that most, most people live in, I think. And the core, I think, is understanding our primal needs. And when some of our primal needs, and then one of the main one is safety. You know, we all seek to be safe. And I think that that's evident in everything from how we raise our kids to be like, oh, wait, don't do that. You know, do this, be safe. And I just made the connection that that's why all these well-meaning parents want their kids to get a good education and go out and get a good job to make money because money currently in our society means that it is a form of safety. And I'm not saying it's like the end all be all, but it's like that's these are the external external structures of safety that every parent and every person is trying to seek out. And yet there's <laughs> very little support in creating that internal safety and understanding our own needs and wants and understanding that when we feel afraid, it's because we don't feel safe. And if we can stop just for a moment and realize all the places where we go to grasp or control something, because that gives us a sense of safety outside of ourselves, 
really turning that inwards. And this is where I'm just starting to internalize and embody the practice of, wow, I don't feel safe. Why don't I feel safe? How does my body feel? You know, where am I triggered in my body? How do I calm my body down to get myself present, to get my, literally my head back and my prefrontal cortex accessed again to go, okay, I can create a sense of safety here for me, in my body, in my person, because I know that every time I act out of a sense of fear, I am then, it never goes well, really. (laughs) It really doesn't. It just doesn't go well. But then I'm trying to control. And then I feel like the more I'm trying to control the world around me, the more I'm actually generating the thing that I was afraid of. And that is the ultimate vicious cycle. I think not only recognizing on a personal level, but also on a very large scale, we are living out the same things. So as each one of us makes progress and does the inner work, like the real inner work, and you turned me on to the holistic psychologist, um, Nicola Pera, who just published a book, How to Do the Work. That's literally the title. I yeah, love it. It's perfect. Because we've been talking about doing this. This is the work. And people like Byron Katie have already been talking about this for years, but that it's, it's becoming more in our vernacular. We're talking about it more. We're doing it. And I feel like the more each one of us can find that little place of safety I mean, what would it be like to live in a safe world? Like, what would that be like? Yeah. And back to your point about men seeking, seeking emotional safety from women. I do think that that is a huge, huge issue. Really so much bigger than we realize because the burden that that places on women to hold not only the emotional space for themselves, but also for their male partner, if they have a male partner or even really anyone. I mean, Anytime someone else places their feeling of safety on you, that is fucking heavy. <laughs> that is really, really heavy to hold. Yeah. And, uh, and, and obviously kids do it too. They're, you know, any woman that is a, a mother will know that she's holding space. Really, parents hold space for their kids. I don't want to ignore the men that are beautiful parents and holding that emotional space for their kids too. But a lot of it falls on women. And I just think it's like, maybe it's me. I'm like tapping the like, enough, enough. Like, I I, I can't hold it all anymore for everyone else. I'm really just working on me and that safe space in me. And maybe that's part of my my little step in the revolution of of (laughs) inner self-love and safety. (laughs) And I think... What I was doing with you was that I was putting my self-worth in you mm. um, or attaching my self-worth to you and our relationship. And that was kind of what I discovered, you know, oh, six months ago when I was, you know, when we were about six months of being apart distance wise. And I started to, yeah, be, have to face a lot of these things where I couldn't lean on you. I didn't have the, my wants or needs being met. So it was a really hard time. But I think, again, like through these challenges, through through these hard times, we, yeah, we get stronger, mm-hmm. or or we don't, and we- and yeah, and I I obviously am I'm feeling a lot stronger, yeah. and a lot of those pieces, and I feel like the lesson that I learned was that yeah, I, I shouldn't depend on you for my safety or for my self-worth. And I think Mm. that was probably the missing piece for me was self-worth. And Mm. of course, self-worth is connected to inadequacy, which, you know, if anyone's listened to the podcast, they've heard me talk about that ad nauseum because it's been uh, just a part of me that's been decimated, decimated Mm. from my childhood. And I can tell two quick stories of, and they're kind of hilarious because they're like half bragging and then half devastating because- (laughs) you know, from an academic side, I was really, really smart. And I got put into gifted 
classes as at a young age, math and science and everything mm-hmm. like that. But it was too much for me. Mm-hmm. And in those classes, the you know, I, I think I'm more of a creative mind. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm mathematically good, but they were they were, you know, kids that went to Harvard and they were just geniuses that were in this class. And I didn't fit in, not only socially, but from a, I couldn't keep up. Let's mm-hmm. just say it how it was. And that devastated my self-confidence at a young age because mm. uh, I couldn't keep up. And I, I went from like dominating the, you mm-hmm. know, my typical grade level to, to really struggling. And it wasn't, I would say it wasn't a healthy so struggle. So you created the story that you. Well, it was, it was reinforced mm. because my self-worth was in academics at a young age yeah. and, and okay. athletics, which is the second story, which is unfortunate as well in a bragging way. So I was really good at soccer at a young age. So good that as a six-year-old, I was playing with nine, 10-year-olds. Unfortunately, I wasn't a tall, big kid. So I was getting beat up. I was getting bullied. I was getting, I was going through all these things. I wasn't accepted on the team because I actually took a spot for another kid, one of their friends. So I was put into another situation where I was super good at soccer. I loved the sport. And then I got bumped up, bumped up too far. And then I was in this environment that was, was crushing me. It was, it was destroying me. And it was, again, self-confidence. So academics, athletics, which mm-hmm. to me are like, as a kid born in 1984, mm-hmm. that grew up in the 90s, that was like the was whole it? jam. <laughs> that was like 24-7, at least, yeah, where I grew up. And yeah, looking back on it, those those stories really crushed me self-confident in a self-confidence way and my self-worth and yeah, having to rebuild that. But I think if you're older and you can rebuild that, you can add in stuff that you've learned along the way. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, my self-worth isn't attached to anything that's necessarily in the physical world. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to make money or do anything. I just have to be who I am. And I, you know, I bring in other spiritual beliefs Mm -hmm. and things that I'm, yeah, that I bring to the world. So the self-worth part of the, of the self-love journey was the, has been the hardest and challenging one. And and I still confront it, Mm -hmm. you know, awareness has always been something I've been good at. Self-care has been a, yeah, it's been something I've gotten better at, you know, doing my practices and self-acceptance, I think actually was something that through this podcast has been the best way for me to continually put myself out there and let the world continue to have to accept me <laughs> and and for me to to embrace it because I'm it's a practice of, I think, of self-acceptance. Yeah, I was going to say, even putting there. yourself out there, that is self-acceptance to be like, I accept this is me. I yeah. put myself out there and then receive whatever, whatever yeah. comes back. But it's even changed just my being, whole vibe, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm, I just put myself out there and I'm not, I don't take it as personally uh, Mm -hmm. when people don't understand it, they don't connect to it. And I try to make space for for who they are and where they're at. I think that's kind of the lesson I'm learning now is like, they are where they are Mm -hmm. and not thinking I'm better than that. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole other thing that I get tripped up on. So just accepting people for where they are and and maybe I'm not interested and maybe they're not interested and that's, we have other places to be and other things to do. Yeah like full radical acceptance, which is accepting how things are and how things aren't. And I feel like that's part of this beautiful allowance energy. And we've been talking a lot about releasing the resistance of just to to anything. (laughs) And I think so much energy goes towards resisting ourselves. And that's, again, that would be maybe the opposite of self-love is just wanting to be a different way or resisting how we are. 
And that's been a beautiful process of, for me personally, releasing the resistance of who I am, how I am in the moment. And I will say specifically when it comes to a lot of the emotions that I would view as, I would have viewed as negative before, like sadness, anger, everything, grief we've been talking a lot about recently. That's a whole other tangent. But I think for me, just allowing, like being with those feelings is fucking radical for me. Like, That's oh, okay. the stoic here. Uh-huh. Exactly. I will deny all of the feelings. They are not important. <laughs> I do not feel them. Oh, but that's why it was so radical to understand that my feelings are connected to my needs and wants. Mm. And, oh, God, I just... There's a lot of acceptance in that. Yes, right? It's like, oh, I have a need. Can I accept that I have this need? And I, I love this idea. You can, I don't you can know. be aware and not accept. No, right? yeah, exactly. Like, I'm aware that I have a need for... I don't know, but this is whatever not, it is, yeah. touch. I do not accept that. Yeah, this this is the funny thing. Okay, I'm going to test out an idea here. As always, always testing out ideas. Yeah. But I have really been trying to understand what is the difference between a need and a want. Mm. Because we we use them together in conjunction. And it's it's helpful. But I'm like, what? Like, truly, what what is the difference? And what is what in my life? Here's what I'm thinking. Everything is a want. It's all just wants, right? I just want everything. As soon as I have an aim, a goal, or an objective, that thing becomes a need, a need to achieve that objective. So even Are just you like- attaching to no, it? No, but listen, I wa- if I want to live, like, like breathing is just a, a want, right? <laughs> we don't need alive. to live, like uh, we could not breathe, but I, I want to live, therefore mm. breathing becomes a need. Like I need to breathe if I want to live. I need to eat, you know, <laughs> enough that this, this body can stay alive. And that's why I think we can get tripped up around things. I mean, I'm going to like take this analogy pretty far, but I realized that a lot of the things that I thought were just wants, like, oh no, I just want to have alone time. Yeah, true. Like I just want to have alone time, but honestly, my alone time is a need if I want to be the person that I want to be in this world. I.e., like be present with my kids, be a good partner to both you and Marty and to do the work with Amory. Like I, I need this I if need, I want need, yes, I, I like need that. solo time for me to connect with myself if I want to show up in the world how I want to show up. And that's where I think I've taken self-worth like that. Everybody, you know, I I used to question, well, am I worthy of this? Like, am I worthy of taking time by myself? Well, fuck yeah, I'm worthy. I mean, if me taking time by myself is a necessity, I mean, I haven't figured out a way around it so far. If I'm like with my kids 24 seven, I do not show up in the world how I want to show up (laughs) because the need for me to have time to process time to reflect just literally time to not hear mommy, 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 can you do this, do that and help out? Like I need that solo time so I can show up how I want to. And so then I make myself worthy, you know, like, okay, I know I want to show up in the world like this. So yes, I'm worthy of taking this time. And it's, it's, I have uncoupled it, I guess, from, from self-love, if that makes sense. I don't know. This is the first time I'm really trying to take this analogy this far. Is it, is it making any sense? Absolutely. Okay. And it's funny because I, I think I, resisted it the first time because <laughs> uh-huh. I was like I'm not sure I thought breathing was a need and food <laughs> uh, basic needs but through the lens that you're using it, it makes sense and I, I just think people get really tripped up 
around the self-acceptance part and self-worth part. Um, mm. You know, an awareness is obviously where everyone has to start. And I think that's the, the beginning mm-hmm. of being connected to your, yeah, and yeah, being connected to your body and your feelings. And that's, if you don't, if you can't do that, it's going to be really challenging. I also think that there's a lot of pain that can come up with self-awareness. I think that's why it's, it's constant. So yeah. It's sometimes <laughs> just easier to be in the, in the ignorant phase or the not being self-aware, because as soon as you become self-aware that you don't have your needs met (laughs) or that you have gone this far in life without going down this path or inquiry, you know, there, there's like, there's all that stuff that comes up, sadness, grieving for, for what you haven't had, like, and honestly ownership and even owning like, holy shit, this is, this is me. I own that. I haven't, I haven't given myself the space or time or love to even go into this. Yeah. And I think the the thing that I'm also seeing with my own patterns is that I will get really focused um, when I don't have an, uh, a need met and I will forget all the needs that are being met. <laughs> oh, and I will, yeah. I will just completely, that one thing that's not being met will be outweighing all the things that I, that are being met. And I think I'm trying to reframe that and, and focus on what I have because mm. I do have a lot and not be so obsessive about the things that I don't have and and try and so the reframe I've been using and I think we've been talking about this for me it's about chapters it's like Mm -hmm. my life is chapters there's many chapters in this book of my life and right now there's a chapter and I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg said like you can have everything in your life but not all at once Mm -hmm. and that kind of reframes it where it's like yeah I'll get everything yeah a lot of good things are happening and mm-hmm. have happened, but it doesn't all happen at once and, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. Know? I love that. Seasons. I see. I call it seasons for me. Yeah. The season of, and especially in parenthood or parenting kids. Yeah. There were a lot of needs that were not met when my kids were born, newborns and how right. much energy that took. Crap. That was hard, <laughs> but it was also beautiful at the same time. Yeah. It's like certain needs are met and certain needs aren't. Yeah. Totally agree. Everything is changing, which I think that may go into one of my ideas, my new ideas uh, that I'm testing out, which is if we can assume that everything is changing, the environment Mm -hmm. all around us, people are always changing, we're changing, everything is changing and change creates, does that change create a need for grieving? And I think what I've been playing with is that what do we need to grieve? We need to grieve our attachment to a future, a future expectation. Mm. And that's what I've also noticed, of course, like that I do a lot is attaching to, mm-hmm. to future plans, to future. And, that, and I think that was actually one of the big breakdowns that I had, at least I can speak to, you know, being away from you when I was in Africa and you were in New Zealand was that I was really attached to this future that we had kind of planned up and dreamed up in our mind. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be on this farm. We're all going to do it a certain way. And I think when that plan got shaken up and even the timeline got changed, mm-hmm. COVID related and everything else, I was so attached to that future, that future mm-hmm. vision, that future expectation that that I, I needed to really grieve. And, yes. and that was kind of just a, a small example of, I think what happens to us is, is things are constantly changing. So we have to constantly recalibrate the future and even the present. The past is even changing. And mm-hmm. I talk a lot about that. So everything is changing. And there is some things that we need to grieve, maybe on a small level mm. on a daily basis. And I think I want to continue to explore and understand more about 
do we take time to grieve? I mean, we certainly as a society don't make a lot of space for no. it, but like, how do we, how do we grieve? And yeah, is there like a little ceremony or a little mm. thing that we can do to let go, let go yeah. of what we, what we had and not make it such a, you know, not like, like breakups. It's like, do we have to make this such a, such a traumatic thing? Can it be something that's just a transition, just a yeah. change, just going with how things naturally uh, organically go and, and that being okay. Cause we, created a different structure where these things are possible and kind of more authentic. Yeah. Oh, I love that thought. I heard you say a couple times this week, two people that you were talking to on one of the webinars that we were doing on jealousy, mm-hmm. you said something so beautiful. You said, I think you're, you're grieving your idea of love to yeah, someone that's kind of, of yeah. Paradigm of love, like coming out of the monogamous paradigm into the polyamorous paradigm. Yeah. There's grieving there. Yeah. And I, and I really resonate with a lot of people that come into open marriages, right? Because you, (laughs) you don't know what you're getting yourself into and it's not a bad thing, but you can't imagine, you know, especially for someone that struggles with inadequacy. I mean, that to me was so challenging and coming into an open marriage because I, I really felt that not necessarily an unfairness, but I mean, that was part of it, but it was also just like, I could never keep up with Marty. And I just had such a a pattern of trying to compare myself to him and trying to measure up. And I think that was such a hard challenge for me to work through, which of course, I feel like we're always presented with the things that we need to learn. And and that was- The school of life is beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. That experience was really, really good for me. It's really helped me a lot. And I think, yeah, of course, part of me reforming my brain around polyamory versus what what I knew before was having to change my definition of love. And, you know, I think early on when we started dating, if I told anyone that was monogamous, they were not valuing our love. They were not valuing our relationship. And I think for me, I couldn't construct that reality yet. I couldn't construct like how amazing our love could be. And, and, and it doesn't have to fit into this Disney movie style, mm-hmm. you know, fairy tale, which I yeah. think a lot of the way love is portrayed is is not in reality and and not even necessarily healthy, you know, mm-hmm. where there's obligation and force and totally. expectation and not, you know, not organically what this is. And I think for you and I, I feel like our love is is constantly changing. And we're, and we're nurturing the parts of it that really mm-hmm. mean a lot to us. And, yeah. yeah. I think that's been the best of this chapter, as you said, this Costa Rican chapter, I feel like we've gotten to a really good point of secure attachment and that we value, we know, we know what we bring to each other. We value it and that we have created the structure around that. And it doesn't need to be anything else, or at least not right now until our needs shift again and they will. <laughs> But it just feels so fun. Like we've created this relationship that works for us. Yeah. And I think we played with energy on different levels of if we're, if I don't see you for a few days, that's kind of our structure Mm -hmm. in Costa Rica is that I'll see you every few days. It builds up this excitement. And like what happens when we see each other is like this, just fireworks (laughs) of our like brain sex where we're talking (laughs) and like people around us are probably like, what the hell is happening? Like Uh looks like there's like a debate going on here. And these people are trying to solve like all the problems of the world, but we just are, yeah, we are like are lit up or yeah. like our neurons are firing all over the place. And yeah, I love it. I feel like it works. I love that the building up of 
the time when we're apart, but then allowing that energy to build up, allowing each other to have separate experiences and then to come back together. And yeah, it's so much fun. I actually wonder, I'm like, this actually is a really good structure for many relationships. You know, I'm, yeah. I just like I was saying, I do better when I don't, I'm not with my kids 24 seven. I love having experiences and then coming back to my kids because then they have something to share and I have something to share and I'm happy to see them and they're happy, hopefully to see me. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this actually works in many different relationships. Mm. And I think we just have this, um, par- the monogamous paradigm is when you fall in love, you live with someone 24 seven like that. Well now in COVID times, yes, but even if like that, that's the whole paradigm, right? You, you fall in love and then you move in and live together. And I remember even before, before maybe we had opened up our relationship, I remember I had a client that was married. She lived with her husband, but then they decided that didn't fit best for them. So then they got their own places and they stayed married. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I've like never, that was so novel and new to me. And now I'm like, Oh man, that was just the beginning of (laughs) different structures of understanding that, that people can, craft their lives with to fit their needs and, and what how that might look is different for everybody. I would have judged that so hard back then too, because and my my frame for everything was so rigid. And mm-hmm. it's it's funny to think about that now because I'm I feel like I'm naturally such an open person and I love entertaining and exploring new ideas and and learning from people. Learning uh, there's endless learning, especially when you look at the polyamory community of different structures and how people yeah, are naturally figuring out what works for them. And I think coming back to the love, we're, we're recreating love in a way that is different and different than what is this norm that I think is, is yeah, I, I don't even know it anymore. And I think we're just, we're creating it based on, yeah, the things that, that are naturally happening for us in our life. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, that, that feels really good. I'll see if I can go full circle with this to wrap up. I feel like all of this has been connected. It's not necessarily a linear journey of a more secure and loving attachment within ourselves and a more secure and loving attachment with each other. It's like one helped the other. <laughs> and we we did have to go through those periods of meeting our own needs and becoming competent and understanding that and going through the creating safety for ourselves individually. So where we currently live in a world where the script is given to us about love, right? This is how your relationship is supposed to look. This is how you're supposed to be with no internal focus, right? The more we shift, the more we let go of that script and we say, okay, great. Going to let that go and go into ourselves and be the creators, you know, have have that self-love and that secure base for ourselves. Then the outside script, the form of our lives, the process of our lives, the structure of our lives could look radically different from one to the other. But that is the that is the real creation process of life. And now I just feel like we get to play. It's like, oh, this is the beginning of a skill set of just playing in life. Mm. Yeah, it's super exciting. I'm like, oh, what what magical play. things yeah. lie around the corner? I don't quite know, but this is this all feels very good. Yeah. And for me, I think. To wrap up, I feel like the the play part almost fits with that the yin and the yang and the, and the concept of the masculine and the feminine. And I feel like we've had so much order, so much masculine, mm. so many rules, so many boundaries and so many things that have really suffocated the human experience, mm. suffocated our hearts and our souls and our bodies. And I think that's now what we're moving back to, coming back to the the feminine that and that story of of rising feminine energy 
is that we're coming more to, you know, what, what is termed chaos, but to me is more about play and openness mm. and, and flow and creation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with who knows where these relationships go, who knows where, I mean, polyamory is not a stagnant concept. It's ever evolving. And mm-hmm. I think that's now that we have this community and I was just thinking about, Oh, what, what happened in the sixties to the polyamorous movement? You know, but they weren't connected like they are now, like no, we are that's now. That's a good point. And actually. we have all these ideas to share and grow on. And I think I feel, yeah, I feel connected to that on a on a higher level of consistently learning from each other and, yeah, seeing where these things go and, and believing in it. Yeah. I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Thanks for playing with me. Of course. Yeah. And thanks to our listeners for listening. Always. Mm, we love you. Lots of love. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Amory. We've got so much more that we want to share with you. And our podcast isn't the only platform. We've got written stuff, we've got videos, and we put everything. We've got 50 plus posts now and more and more every day of all of our private journal entries. We're talking our intimate content here. Um, And that's for those of you who wish to go on a deeper journey with us. Um, We think that there's so much more value that we can share with a smaller group of people who are really ready to do the work in your own lives. If that's you, please take a look at our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Emory podcast. There's so much more that we'd love to share with you. Um, And if you're not able to contribute on a monthly basis, you can always share us. Share with your friends, do a post. We appreciate anything that you can do to help us get the word out to have more vulnerable conversations in this world. Thanks again.